Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. Brought to you by Pariah Pickups, quality handcrafted guitar pickups made down in Detroit Rock City. Check them out, pariahpickups.com. My guest today is Ray Coburn. He's a founding member of Honeymoon Suite, now playing alongside Supertramp's Roger Hodgson. We had a fantastic conversation that I thoroughly enjoyed. Without any further ado, here it is. Hey, Ray, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today, man? Hey, Brent. I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. How's Montreal? Montreal is good. Uh, you know, a little crazy like the rest of the world, but um, so far, so good. I think people here are, um, they're, they're doing what they have to do. I think they're pretty conscientious. And, uh, you know, other than that, it's just a great city. So oh, it all is. is well. And Toronto, you guys are doing okay? Things are coming around, you know. There's, uh, we're seeing some nice results with COVID, and uh, I'm hopeful that the lockdown is going to be a thing of the past. So always, yeah, uh, always look on the bright side, Ray. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, Ray, once again, thanks for taking the time. Now, you are certainly... Uh, well known for your time as uh, a founding member of Honeymoon Suite, but you've played with all sorts of people beyond that. So you've played with Del Bello, you've played with Corey Hart, Gowan, you've played with Carol Pope, and recently you've been playing with Supertramp's Roger Hodson at places like the Royal Albert Hall, which is amazing. What's up in light, man? It's been, well, as you said, it's been amazing, Brent. Supertramp is something really dear to my heart Mm -hmm. you know it's really in my musical dna and i got into them crime of the century came out i was 12 or 13 years old Mm -hmm. and um you know just immediately fell under its spell and and have loved the band ever since so to actually play with roger yeah it's it's quite a buzz and um you know it took a while for it to stop being completely surreal (laughs) i bet well, that must have been something. Like, I love Supertramp too, and I have for a long time. So, to actually be playing those songs to an audience alongside him must be just such a, a huge charge. It really is, Brent. Uh, you know, really, for the first six months, literally, I would I would look up and, and they, holy shit, that's yeah. Roger, and he's and there's that voice. You know, there's yeah. that voice that you know so well, and uh, it's 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 amazing. And he's, um, you know, he's he's an extraordinarily talented guy Mm -hmm. you know in every respect absolutely now in addition to that you are also currently working on a project called smash hitley tell me about that well thank you for mentioning it um smash hitley is something that i started to do quite a few years ago Mm -hmm. smash hitley is is a one-man show which features myself and two go-go dancers oh cool two lovely go-go dancers but it basically it's a one-man show in which i do you know what i would call epic remixes so i will take i i farm for samples so like you know you being a music guy you know there's these bits in any song whether it's a vocal break or a drum break or a guitar Mm. break or whatever and there's you just i i gather these things up from all my favorite music you know the shit that i like Sometimes I often have a vision for putting them together, but often I don't. So you start out with the first sample and just start playing other things against it. And the result is that I end up with these long, long arrangements 
of stuff which is based on you know all these musical touchstones uh, yeah. you know like i said it could be a, a vocal a guitar lick and putting them all together in a in a new form really and i play it all live off the keyboard so at times for some songs there are 30 or 40 different splits on the one keyboard and at times each of my 10 fingers is actually playing a completely different sample and it's really it's really uh kind of crazy uh and very time intensive it's a it's a labor of love for me and it is something that uh that is really cool. And in addition, the final step is that I also have visuals, um, video, which I also play from the keyboard. So, so cool. uh, I have videos attached via MIDI. So yeah, everything is being played by me live. And if I, if I take my hands off the keyboard, all the music and video stops for lack of a better description. It's, it's really hard until people see it. It's hard for people to really latch onto the description of it. But, um, as you were describing it, Ray, it kind of reminded me of something like Pump Up the Volume by Morris. Remember them? I do. Yeah. I do. Remember that Indeed. tune? It, it was a song basically of samples, and it totally works. It's a, I listen to it all the time still, and I think that came out in like 85 or something like that. And they had right. the accompanying video that was you know kind of centered around like space travel and, and that sort of thing. Really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Indeed. So yeah, well, I'm. thank you again for mentioning that. And sure. uh, I, I look forward to getting that going again. And this time that we have here has actually been good for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another silver lining. It's a great time to catch up on stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ray, before we get into your tunes, one thing that I found out recently about you, and this is pretty cool, something people may not know about you. Your father bought a dance hall in Muskoka in the 60s. And he would change mm-hmm. the name of that club to what we now know today as Kitabella. I had no idea that that was your dad. Well, yeah, that was Ray, Big Ray, <laughs> my dad and my stepmother. My parents split up. My dad and my stepmother bought the Kitabella, which was not called the Kitabella. It was called something else. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, they bought that. And then the rest is history, as they say. And yeah, he really they really did transform it into, you know, what it became, which was like a, a real ground zero for, for yeah. a lot of Canadian music, really. Totally. Kim Mitchell. I've seen so many shows there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was incredible. I, I first started to go up there when I was 10 years old. And, you know, I saw everybody up there. Of course, you know, Max Webster and all the Toronto bands. Mm-hmm. But I saw, you know, Rush, including Rush. But uh, also like the New York Dolls and Chubby Checker and just wow. a vast assortment. And uh, it was incredible. It was uh, and it was educational and it was like a drug for me. It was just like being high. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was already crazy about music. So just to see that every, you know, every week, every weekend, two nights, you know, different bands, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. What a treat. Unfortunate, very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And what a musical education for you. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It really was. Um, you couldn't ask for a better musical education for a young music crazy kid. <laughs> for sure. Well, it served you well, evidently. Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, obviously I've gone on to play there more times than i can remember so. that must have been cool too it is yeah it is indeed that's awesome all right ray shall we get into your songs my friend if you like you're driving the bus all right 
Well, let's get started with George Harrison. And isn't it a pity? This is a great pick. Yeah. I think that entire record is, for my money, one of the best records ever made, the entire album. I, I don't know what more to say, really. Uh, I was kind of a late comer to it. I didn't realize how influential that record was to me mm-hmm. until much later on. And then I, when I would sit and listen to it, I would go, yeah, okay. I was kind of thinking a lot of it was Beatles music when I was younger, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I realized I separated the two. And uh, yeah, it's as good as it gets. This song, I think, was written back in 1966, and it got passed over a bunch of times. It was um, Really? Yeah, I had read that this song, George wrote this song in 66, and he would bring it to Beatles sessions as early as, I think, Revolver, and Lennon always vetoed it, and George would continue to, to every time they did an album, he'd bring it in, and so around Sgt. Pepper, he brought it in again, and uh, Lennon said no, and then he considered giving it to Frank Sinatra, actually. But then wow. he didn't. He he tried to get it onto the Let It Be sessions. He got vetoed again, and then he just he released it after the Beatles broke up. That's a great story. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and it's funny because it went. I think it went to number one in Canada too, back then. Really? I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's funny. I mean, I can I can hear Frank singing that. Frank would sing that great. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's Amazing. um. Harrison is just such a sentimental, spiritual songwriter, you know, and this is just a great example of that, too. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. For me, I think this is the best, my my taste, it's the best solo Beatle album, and that's saying a lot, obviously. Wow, that is saying a lot, yeah, for sure. It's great, though. I do love it. Yeah. yeah. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer is next. Endless Enigma and Fugue. Fugue is in the middle, I think, of this little three-part suite, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, this record, probably along with like Fragile by Yes, mm-hmm. was really what made me want to be a keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it fired my imagination. And when I was a kid, a little kid, you know, in my mind's eye, when I would imagine myself growing up, it was like, I was Keith Emerson. I had the the bob haircut and the bell bottoms, and <laughs> you know I was rocking out on a on a Hammond. Yeah. Um, it really it touched something so deep in me, and it's so good. I mean that period of time, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, yes, and so many of those bands, they were really pioneers. They were really breaking new ground and and just doing stuff that had never been done before. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And yeah, super exciting. And to this day, I'm still practicing the endless enigma. It's the hardest thing I've ever learned oh. in my life. I don't read music, so every, everything I learn is just from ear. Really? And, uh, it was a crazy lift, man. It was a crazy, crazy <laughs> lift. And uh, I'm still working on it. I mean, I, I recorded a, a, set, uh, a version of it some years back, and I'm about to redo another one, a hopefully better update. But um, yeah. Incredible. Do you know, uh, are you at all into those guys? Mildly. I'm not a yeah. massive fan. I don't, you know, I, I like it, but I don't know a lot about it. I'm very much kind of introductory to this stuff. Right. You know, Prague, like Asia. I know all the players and I've kind of followed it, but I don't know that I wouldn't right. know any of the deep cuts. Yeah. Well, you know, Brent, I actually don't fall in love with bands. I, I fall in love with albums. So, mm. I'm, I, you know, I'm not like a huge ELP freak. But it's like it's like Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon to me, you know, might be the best record ever made. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a huge Pink Floyd fan. But I'm a huge Dark Side of the Moon. Fan. 
That's interesting. I like that. You know, I've had this conversation with a million people about albums and the kind of the story that they tell, you know, how the songs flow with each other. And as the listener, you kind of understand them to be, it would be weird to picture them in different spots on the record because they kind of flow and track listing is very important. Um, The Mm -hmm. album sleeve accompanies the music. It provides the visual aspect. And it's kind of a shame for kids these days you know that was a big part of musical education speaking of which musical education for me is is buying those albums and sitting and really really listening to them because there was nothing else going on and um you know going through all the stuff that was in the record sleeves yes well that was all we had Mm -hmm. right we didn't have videos uh we didn't have so much uh, other exposure and to me yeah that is a magical thing there's such a thing as too much information. Yeah. I think that's a good example of it, really. Yeah. I still listen to albums. I focus on listening to an album, a cohesive album, you know, back, back right. from, you know, the, in the 70s and 80s and that sort of thing. And, and really trying to conceptualize, you know, what the artist is, is trying to share. Yes. You know what I mean? Indeed. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I also like to take an out al- and listen to an album, a whole album and, and treat it as one piece mm-hmm. um one experience you know if a, if a record is fading out the last the last fade out i will not stop it until the sound stops it's just like this <laughs> thing i won't i won't stop it until i know the recording has finished you know just i guess out of trying to honor it or whatever that's but, so great <laughs> so yeah the album for sure the album as a complete experience yeah. yes yeah now, when you guys, when you, when you were doing Honeymoon Suite Records, how much attention was paid to, you know, track listing and sequencing? I would say a good bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, that was Johnny's, I think really that was largely Johnny's call. Mm-hmm. Um, although, hmm, I, I am very old in my memory, maybe off, but I know certainly, you know, the lead singer for, for a show is always, or generally the guy mm-hmm. who kind of makes up the set list um my sense is that johnny was instrumental in that Hmm. but uh geez makes sense it was a while ago kind of putting you on the spot it was a little while ago (laughs) sorry it's a good question well question i've i've always thought a lot about that because a lot of um you hear stories about producers uh working with bands and saying okay the the track listing and the sequencing of the songs is extremely important if we're going to tell the story that we want to tell here with this record absolutely yeah it's a great point and there's other things i mean like the you know the record company would say if the single is the single it's got to be you know the second or third song and then you there is a formula right. in putting records together you know you kind of start the album with a, a blitzing kind of song to get everybody's attention the single was typically the second or third song you know right yeah mm-hmm. all kinds of that stuff anyway that's a separate yes. podcast. <laughs> record company wisdom oh yeah i'm sure you've got a couple stories about that <laughs> Yeah, but I have to say, uh, I think I've been pretty pretty fortunate with the, with the people I've I've worked with. Really good. Um, yeah, I can't. Uh, it it is a crazy business, but I think I've been pretty lucky in that regard. Warner's was always very good um, for honey, you know, to honeymoon suite, whatnot. So, oh, that's good to hear. That's yeah. good. I'm a friend of Greg Fraser's. He, oh yeah. He, you guys had the same manager, I think, for a little while when you're in honeymoon suite. We did. And he told me that. The record company was always saying, well, 
Honeymoon Suite was like the older brother, right? Like, well, Honeymoon Suite didn't do it that way. Or, you know, <laughs> Honeymoon Suite needs to, you know, you should be more like Honeymoon Suite. <laughs> right. So Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So you guys were well-liked. Those poor guys having to, you know, having us for an example. <laughs> <laughs> Your next tune here, Ray, is Joni Mitchell. I love this song, Court and Spark. This whole record is just fantastic. It's very comforting music for me. Yeah, extraordinary. And really, Brent, I could have really picked almost any song on that record. Because mm-hmm. um, it's all... You know, to me, it's all so good. And um, thanks to my, you know, my older brothers, I got turned on to so much. And this is one of them. Like when I was, uh, I don't know, I was in grade seven or grade eight when it came out. And Mm -hmm. again, it it just touched me. It it moved me so deeply. Probably like only a young person can be moved, you know? Yeah. I don't think I could be moved by a piece of music now like I could then. But uh, it's funny, man. I, I remember like, when I was a little kid, I would, uh, I had that whole record committed to memory, mm. including like how long between the songs, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I would play that album in my head right down to like how long between each song. It was, wow. it was so ingrained in my brain Wow. and so good and so original. I mean, a friend of mine I was talking to the other day, you know, said that Joni is so original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had made a comment about at one time about Dylan's never done, had an original idea in his life. And, you know, he's a huge Dylan fan. And at first he was, you know, kind of took exception, but then he was like, nah, it's Joni, man. And she is truly, truly an original. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting consideration about being dialed into music as a kid in a much different way that you can be as an adult, you know, because I, I was just thinking when you were saying that, that this album and Joni Mitchell to a large degree was the music that was on on the radio when I was just at that age, when I was just becoming receptive to music. Right. And it's magic. It's, it's very nostalgic. It's, um, it's really something when I hear it today, I just, I just go right back. Yeah. It never gets old. In fact, it only gets better with time. That mm-hmm. record. It's just so masterfully done in every, in every regard, really. Yeah. Uh, and you know, as, as far as the experience, of, of recapturing that young experience. That's why I started smoking dope because <laughs> I was trying to get back there to that place, you know, <laughs> and it worked for a while. It took me back there for a while. Oh, that reminds me of that old phrase. First you do the drugs, then the drugs do you. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it's true. Isn't it? Right. I guess it's true. I, I guess drugs are more of a young person's game. I still do smoke though, yeah. but, uh, not as much. I like to do it when I'm sequestered away working, mm-hmm. when I don't have to, you know, talk to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For that, it's really good. I yeah, I, I I'm sad to say I'll probably never experience that feeling, that fresh feeling that I did when I was a kid and, and hearing these things yeah. for the first time. It's it's incredible. Yeah, but you know what? The good news is that you did. I think back to times like that, and I'm actually thankful that I, you know. We're alive in a, during a really cool time because we saw the old and the new. So I'm, just, I'm thankful that we were able to experience stuff like this, albums, all of it. You're, yeah, that's a great point, Brent. We are lucky, indeed. I mean, in, in the world in general and in music for sure, it's, so much has been condensed mm-hmm. into the last you know, half century or so. Mm-hmm. 
And it's funny because people who, you know, don't have the experience of having lived back then in the 70s and 80s don't know. Yeah, you're right. Lucky is a good way to put it. We are lucky that uh, that we were in on that for sure. Yeah. Now, here's another old gem, The Carpenters and Goodbye to Love. Yes. So, can I tell you something, Ray, about The Carpenters before you go on? Yes. The the Carpenters freak me out a little bit. And, And here's why. They kind of... The music is very kind of flouncy and and pleasant, right? But then the yes. the lyrics are all they're, they're very dark all the time. Do you find that? Is that so? Like the, this song, I know this song, and the second line is something like, "No one cares if I live or die." Yes. Right. But the, yep. if you if you listen to the music, it's like la 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 la. <laughs> it's very bizarre. It freaked me out when I was a kid. That's really funny that it freaked you out. <laughs> Uh, and I mean, it's it's probably because you were hip enough to to be listening to the lyrics, actually, I, yeah. uh, as opposed to just the sound. You know, it's funny. Again, I mean, I I, I don't own it. I might own the Carpenters' Greatest Hits, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I'm not like a Carpenters freak or anything. And I I figured that that song, you know, most of the guys you you have on here, if they're musicians, they're rock musicians. I, I imagine. I mean. Mm-hmm. I saw some of the people and um, I can imagine them like rolling their eyes and like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> but um, I mean, first of all, you've got Karen's voice, yeah. uh, which is unmatched before or since mm-hmm. and probably never will be. Mm-hmm. You know, I love pop music. I, I love, I mean, I put rock music in with pop music. Rock To me, rock music is a part pop music and mm-hmm. i love pop music in you know motown and the carpenters and everything about it and to me this is just supremely crafted um pop music it, it's it's like a lesson in pop music and this song in particular the thing i like about this song brent mostly and mm-hmm. it may sound funny is that it's heavy when it goes into tony peluso's middle oh, break yeah. guitar solo yeah. and then from then on out it, it goes briefly back to a quick vocal and then there's like a break in the drum fill and it goes into the out chorus. And it's mm. for me, perhaps the best rock guitar solo ever, ever committed to tape. I mean, it's so heavy. Even before that second solo comes in, when it's just set up and it's got that, the, the theme that comes in, you know, it reminds me that heavy has nothing to do with loud or distorted, you know? Totally right. So yeah, that tune uh, is, a, is just a, a heart, breaker for me it's so good so good interesting you say that about the the guitar solo i always thought that was a a very unique choice somebody told me that what's sorry what's the guitar player's name again tony paluzzo Paluzzo, tony paluzzi i think it's paluzzo yeah he went in he was asked to come in and and play and he played you know he heard the song and he played this this sweet little solo you know and Mm -hmm. um someone said no 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 turn it up and just play like a roaring solo. And he, he was confused. He was like, why? It's, it doesn't match. Yep. And that was the thinking behind the solo. Yes. And that was Richard Carpenter who yes. said it. Yeah. So, and, and how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and certainly that would have turned some heads back then during that solo on a Carpenter song. And Richard Carpenter, I think, as much as he's lauded, I think he's, he's still an underrated talent. I mean, I think he's one of the greatest songwriters ever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's it's a great tune. It's a great pick. 200 episodes of the show I've done, and uh, this is the first time the Carpenters have appeared on the show. Yay! Yeah. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm 
I'm glad all my rock brethren out there put that song on and give it a listen. <laughs> yeah, especially the solo. I think it's so funny that it freaked you out when you were a kid. That that's hilarious. Well, see again, there's there's a duality, right, with the guitar solo and the music. It doesn't the instrumentation of the the main song. It it mm-hmm. it, it doesn't necessarily. It's a surprise, and so you, all yeah. these things you just you're kind of on your heels, I think. And as a little kid, I always it just freaked me out. It was very odd because it didn't it didn't make sense to me, you know. Right. Yeah, interesting and funny. And by the way, I hated the Carpenters when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> I was, you know, I mean, I come from rock and roll. So I came to the Carpenters later and I hated the Carpenters or anything, anything like that yeah. when I was a kid. You know, it, it had to be rock and roll, basically. I mean, I loved Motown even when I was a kid. But yeah, um, yeah the Carpenters were an acquired taste for me. And I just, I'm in awe. I mean, all of some of the stuff they did, it's, uh, and, and again, the voice, yeah. the voice is just sublime. Yeah. Very, I know what you mean. It's very saccharine and, and like super seventies, you know? Yeah. But her voice is fantastic. And again, I'm thinking about like close to you. I loved that song when I was a little kid and it was right around the same time of the Joni Mitchell and my reception to music. And yep. How old are you, Brent? I'm 51. 51. Okay. Yeah. I'm 58. So. Okay. So you you were pretty hip for your age. <laughs> I, I was born in a small town with nothing going on, so you know, <laughs> music was it. So I really had no choice. But to, uh, music was always on in the background, and I really kind of, um, I really received it. Like I was really dialed into it as a kid. So yeah. Cool. Well, clearly, clearly, <laughs> I can tell. So your last tune, my friend, is the Beach Boys, Surf's Up. This is not a typical Beach Boys record. I guess not. I guess it isn't, is it? To me, when I think of Surf's Up, it's like a rock Moonlight Sonata. It's it's just kind of like Moonlight Sonata, to me, is like an ultimate piece in that you can take any different section of it and create a whole new brilliant piece out of it. It's so dense with with music with musicality yeah and with emotion and uh surfs up again these are all just things that um i haven't a clue what van dyke parks is talking about mm. in that song mm-hmm. it, the lyrics are crazy but uh the overall thing it's just like i'm i'm talking to you and i'm grabbing my heart as i describe it because <laughs> it, that's what it did to me it just it just grabbed my heart oh and wow was, you know, this mystical just this mystical thing. I forget what year it was released. Do you know? I think it was, I want to say it was 71. It 71, was, I, yeah. I think this is, this is like their 17th record. Like they were wow. either 70 or 71. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, to me, um, a masterpiece and um, just something that has, you know, I, I've never heard anything since that mm-hmm. really, that really quite did what that song does. Yeah. And that's saying something, you know, considering their their catalog. Indeed. Again, I think the Beach Boys, I was a latecomer to as well, because Mm -hmm. when we were younger, you know, the Beach Boys was like California girls and all that stuff. That was fine. I didn't mind it. But um, there's a whole other darker, heavier side. And obviously, I'm sure you're well acquainted with Brian Wilson's history. Mm -hmm. Well, all of their history, really. It's it's quite a crazy story. Mm -hmm you know, the whole family, there's just so much bizarre shit going on, but particularly with Brian, I guess that's really what this is. You know, that record was, was that coming out. 
Yeah, he was uh, he was almost like a savant, wasn't he? He just he had these uh, he could hear the music in his head, and, and but he also did things like he would go into studios, and he would run his hands along the walls, and then he would say, "No, we can't we can't record here. It it doesn't feel good." Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yes, he was a special dude, man. It's not surprising though. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys who's like so connected, you know. Mm. Um, just so connected to the source, whatever that is. And it's, it's such a great story about him running his fingers along the walls and it makes perfect sense. You know? Yeah. He was, he was just completely in a league of his own, you know, and, and guys like Paul McCartney knew it. Yeah. I mean, he may have been too brilliant for his own good. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, his, his mental issues came a lot from Murray, his dad. I mean, that was, it was a crazy situation, but uh, I think he may have been cursed with being too brilliant perhaps, you know? Yeah. I mean, people like that, I I think, feel things so deeply, which is, of course, a blessing, but also a curse, you know? It's difficult for them to to deal with or express, yeah. Happily, we can listen to it now. I mean, you know, so much great work those guys did, and he did. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Certainly the benefactors, that's for sure. Who are uh, a few of your favorites? I know oh. it's a really impossible question, but I owe it to you because at first I was like, well, shit, this is a, this is a nasty thing for Brent to do to make me pick five songs. <laughs> so uh, give me a few of your favorite songs, albums, bands. I, in terms off the top of your head. I, I, top of my head, you know, I'm a huge Stones fan. Great. A huge Bowie fan. So I would say, you know, something like, I love Moonlight Mile. You know, I, I'm, I'm a deep cuts guy from from Sticky Fingers. Um, cool. But it, the songs that really kind of make my skin vibrate can be anything. Like you, you know, Kate Fenner as a Canadian musician, you you probably have heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's got a song that I don't know if you've if you've heard this song, Ray. It's called uh, "The Yield." She just put it out maybe five years ago. And no, I will though. It's just check it out because you will love this song. It just crushes you. You know, it just. Wow. It's one of those songs that just says your number emotionally. And we all have those, right? Yeah. Um, wow. A big one for me, Ray, is Handbags and Glad Rags. Handbags. Do you know that one? So Rod Stewart kind of made it popular. Stereophonics do it. It's it's one of those old standards from, I think it was written in the 60s. The Stereophonics did the best version of it. It's a very emotional song, and it just twists me up. Rick Emmett and I did the last Christmas episode. He comes on every Christmas and we talk about songs. And I brought cool. this one in and he took me through the chord progression of it. And I play guitar too, so I'm familiar with the chords, but obviously, you know, he he gave me a, a master class on, you know, you know, why this happens to your emotions when I go from, you know, if I play a C after a B, it makes it sound sad. And we were talking about all that stuff and it was really fascinating. Really? Yeah, the science of it. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. That's you see, that's really interesting. And I have I can greatly appreciate that. I, I I'm of the mind that I don't like to know I, I don't necessarily like to know why things work. Mm. Um I like the mystery in it. I don't I don't want to understand it. Like with love, with music, you know, we're compelled to want to understand it. Yes. You know, it's our nature. But um I, I've learned later in life that I, I do like things to be mysterious and i don't want to understand i mean you know i'm daft anyway so there's only so much room in this old brain you know to absorb too much information but 
still, I, I love the mystery and things. And maybe, you know, we were talking about being young and, and the effect it has on you. And I think that might tie into that too. Mm-hmm. Just that things are, you know, they're mysterious. They're, they're way beyond our understanding, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. which is, let's face it. That's what love is. We mm-hmm. can't, we, we don't understand love. I don't think. No, I agree. It's, it's the, the journey, not the destination really, isn't it? Indeed. Indeed. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I've given a lot of thought to this topic and just hearing you say that stuff is just, I, I feel like I'm listening to myself think this through, you know, because I don't know if there really is an answer and maybe that's, right. maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that should just be accepted. But I always think about it <laughs> regardless. Yeah. Well, that's, we're kind of programmed to do that, mm-hmm. you know, to figure it out, but that's very interesting. Yeah. So I want to talk more. <laughs> but, but we're out of song, so you have to come back. I'd love to, and thank you for asking me on. And uh, oh, jeez, my pleasure. It's a good way to spend some pandemic time. Yeah, this is. I really enjoyed this chat. This has been a lot of fun. It's, it's great to meet you. You too, Brent. Yeah. Um, thank you. And you know, maybe we could do an episode over dinner sometime. Yeah, we well, could actually hook up some microphones and and do it over dinner. Let's do that. I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely all about that for sure. Yeah, so you're in Montreal, I'm in Toronto. When uh, the lockdown lifts, when COVID lifts, we'll put something together. How about that? Amazing. Yeah, look me up when you're coming to town. I'll do the same. Perfect. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Okay, brother. Thank you, man. I'll be in touch Thank with you. Thank you. All right. Okay. You okay. stay well. All right, you too, brother. Thank you. Ciao. All right, bye-bye. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and Mr. Ray Coburn. Till next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>